20 square box. Blocks. Blocks. 20 square blocks. Square. See, this is tricky because normally I say to people, tell us who you are, but we can't do that in this situation because you need to remain anonymous. Correct. And we're not going to scramble your voice. That's okay. So why do you need to remain anonymous, do you think? I think it's it's respectful to probably some of the people I may talk about in the stories. You know, it was a fairly torrid experience for some i'm i'm quite at peace and relaxed with the highs and lows of that part of my life but i think it's it's probably respectful and the right thing to do to be anonymous Hmm. answered like a politician (laughs) thank you (laughs) i've heard it said that the desire to become a politician should in itself prevent you from ever becoming one unfortunately this advice isn't often heeded My anonymous guest today talks about politics being addictive, lowbrow games full of dirt cheats, sabotage and backstabbing. And that's just the students. You were involved in student politics, right? I was. And we're talking university level? University of Ballarat. What year are we talking here? So this would be mid-90s. The real peak of Seinfeld. Yeah, uh, it was a really interesting time because mid-90s, Really, the internet wasn't as uh, common now. I, I remember bumping into an old friend and uh, he said, you got to check out this thing called the internet. It's amazing. You could download um, documents. I remember the most notorious, you know, out there thing that a young person could do at the time was to download the terrorist handbook. Did you download this document? I indirectly viewed it, so I, I had a colleague that <laughs> Accidentally. Had, had, had downloaded it and spent, I think, probably the best part of a day printing it on a dot matrix printer. We obviously had a look at a couple of the sections and thought, this is amazing, we're going to do so much stuff with this, and never did anything with it. Good. Well, I'm, I'm happy about that. That's it. That's it. So uh, that era was quite fascinating because, you know, our lives weren't all over the social media uh, we were still using fairly traditional forms of communication. Emails had just sort of kicked off. Nobody owned a mobile phone. Hmm. To be in that, I think that mid-90s was was probably, for me, that was the best decade, particularly the mid-90s. You know, every, everything kind of, um, you know, we had, uh, we had developed things well enough before we moved into the, in, into the new age of technology. The 90s wasn't great for jobs, just to get an opportunity to start. So I did a whole array of jobs. What did you do? So I did volunteer work. I sold pizza vouchers door-to-door in Craggyburn. Was a builder's labourer for a guy by the name of John Pascarelli. He was originally Pauline Hansen's first manager. This explains a lot. It was an awful experience be back-breaking labour for some cash in hand work. It wasn't nice to work for, to be honest. And, um, you know, I was, I was glad I got to the end of it. So after all these different jobs, I travelled back to Ballarat and was just visiting, you know, the family home. And I remember looking in the courier and saw there were vacancies for a course out at Ballarat Uni. I decided to be a bit ambitious and I turned up to the campus And I tracked down the head of that school Uh and I said, I can see you've got positions vacant. I'd I'd really like to go for one. 
And he said, oh, he's a bit iffy. And I showed him my transcripts. He said, doesn't look too bad. And I pleaded with him. I said, look, I, I'm, you know, I'm really, really keen to, uh, to make the most of things. He said, what I'll do is I'll talk to some of your former teachers. If they, if they vouch for you, then we'll let you in. Um, and uh, they gave me a good rap and I didn't look back. You arrive on campus, it's, uh, what, 95? 95. I was absolutely smashing it results-wise. It was like I'd been reborn. I was getting high distinctions. Um, I was full of confidence. Yeah, right. And probably after that first semester towards the middle of the year, I, I get a call from an old friend, Roy. So Roy's in Melbourne in one of the big universities, heavily involved in student politics. He said, look, can you do me a favour? Oh. I said, yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, what do you need? He said... On your campus, they have these positions called NUS delegates, which stands for National Union of Students. Can you grab a couple of friends and nominate for those positions? There's some tool there that keeps getting them for free because no one nominates against him. You don't even have to do anything because you'll probably just win by default. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll see what I can work out. So there was a guy, he was a professional student, Mm-hmm. He was there in the realm of something like five to ten years, just signing up for different courses and just going in unopposed. Is there a particular political party that they represent? Yes, the Labor Party, the left faction of the Labor Party. So they they absolutely despise the Liberals, and they despise the Greens, and they have they have that unionism ideals that factionalizes them into either side. So anyway. Roy has said, if you're really keen, sign up for some of the other positions on campus. It has a president, has a really interesting job there as the activities officer. I said, all right, I'll have a chat to some friends I've got. And we were quite enthused by the whole, you know, the whole concept. So we went on a recruiting drive. We targeted specific parts of the university that we thought by bringing on some of those personalities, they would bring in more votes. And we recruited about 50 people to fill all positions on campus. We were then getting educated by Roy and his cohorts in Melbourne. And they said, right, what you need is you need a ticket. We formed our ticket. And what's this ticket? A ticket's typically where you give, give your group an identity and we say, okay, let's give our collective a name. So what was the name? To be honest, I can't quite remember at the time. It was something like Unity or something along those lines. Um, so Unity is the name of your group? Yes. So you're, in a sense, the Unity Party? Well, I call it Tickets, but Ticket Party is probably interchangeable to an extent. Okay. So we've got our ticket, we've got our funding, we've got our posters, we've got our T-shirts, and... The interesting thing was was that there was a lot of cloak and dagger stuff going on. So before my time there, the year before, there was a disputed election. So there was a guy that went for president and he was invalidated through some technicality. 
We researched this history and found out about it. And so we thought, well, why don't we get this guy on board? He's got a real bone to pick with this guy that invalidated his election thing. So we made some introductions, said, look, we've essentially got an army here and no one wants to be president. Why don't you go for president? He said, yeah, yeah, okay, no worries. But we said to him, look, you can run with us, but for a while we want you to look as though you're running on your own because it looks as though the vote split then. So the guy that was always perpetually getting elected, this guy won't be as worried. When it comes to election day, you can come in behind us and we'll go in as a unified force and essentially uh, wipe the board with him. He just looks as though he's just this random loose cannon on the side. But he's quite a popular bloke. He's um, at the University of Ballarat. Their PE department is huge. Well-resourced, a lot of people behind him. Right. So um, we'd strategically recruited from all of the big schools on campus um, to have influential people, even the international students, um, nursing, engineering, all of these areas that had people that felt as though they were represented. It grew and grew and grew. It snowballed, was a bit of an, an aberration um, for that year. So it made the campus politically active. So they weren't aware of the numbers that you'd actually built. That's right, because what they what they did, and we got wind of this via Roy, was that they were bringing in busloads of, of people from Melbourne to campaign for, for the guy that had been there forever and a day. So he didn't really have a presence on campus. I don't think a lot of people were aware that this organisation existed on campus. So the busloads turned up, but it really didn't matter. We won in a landslide over probably about 80% of the vote. Was this, was this an upset? It was. It was a, a huge shock. There was even a bit of media coverage because... You know, there was so much activity and buzz going on around the campus. Made the career. Made the career, I think, even win news. All right. But then, then came the interesting thing because we control essentially a $1.5 million budget. Why is there so much money? They still had compulsory student union fees. And that's why you've got $1.5 million. That's why you've got $1.5 million. So you can do whatever you want with this. Within reason. You can't buy new cars for the people in office. Well, the student union had cars. Two nice okay. brand new cars, and if you made up some flimsy reason, you'd take it out for the weekend. So you can have lunch with people as well? Yep. Can you go out drinking? Yes. So what then, a few interesting things happened was that one of the things we tried to spearhead and we never got done in our time there is we tried to buy a pub. <laughs> what? A pub? We did, and it... it had fierce opposition from a lot of the uh, club owners and pubs around town. We came close. Which pub did you want to buy? We wanted to actually buy the old Dawson's nightclub. The power station? Power station. That's massive. It is, but it was run down, derelict. So we had this ambitious theory that if we bought that, we would give students jobs to work there and we would make money off the students back into the university. But, yeah, but... We'd come in and we'd won this election by landslide. We were now office bearers. We now had decisions to make. So we, in coalition with the university, we funded 24-hour computer labs, which was... Right, right. It happens to work for you as well. 
It 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 does, but it was the university was essentially it was evolving to a point where computers were becoming more and more instrumental to do your course. Did you guys have one in your student area? Yeah, yeah, there was a whole server network and things right. in there. It was well resourced on that front, so we never ran short of being able to print out on a laser printer. Um, right, so have you up- you've updated from the dot matrix. Yeah, now got a laser printer. Have you got uh, so you got a network there? Yep. Would you say that you're actually uh, using the resources 100% honourably, or are you kind of using a bit of a, a bit of a, a cash cow that you can milk? Probably the latter. Um, de- definitely. Um, I'm imagining, you know, you got your bodyguards, you got your- <laughs> <laughs> nothing like that. It was, it was. I was completely immersed in it for three years, and just scraping through at uni. Um, Results-wise, or yep. So you're not getting high distinctions anymore, right? So I was juggling the course, but I was immersed and addicted to the whole political kind of games that were going on um and I, I was burning the candle at both ends i was literally you know often up to four or five a.m in the morning doing all sorts of things and uh in my towards the end of my second year it caught up with me and i got glandular fever uh i went into hospital and um was was very very sick for quite a while it took me about a year to fully recover It then got interesting because we then came up in second year for the re-elections. Unity has come back together. We had a brand new ticket name, I think, another one. Unity 2. Yeah, we had two people. But there was a new, a new force on campus. Someone else had decided they wanted Ooh. to run against us. I remember talking to the group, you know, because I'd got wind of it, so I tracked them down and I just mm. thought I'll sound them out, see if they want to just get involved and... They were quite politically rabid. They weren't happy with a lot of our inaction on different right. things. So it was going to – essentially we were going to go to war with them. But in student politics there's 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 this underhanded tactic called a, a dirt sheet. A dirt sheet. A dirt sheet is something that you distribute to discredit your opponent. They're, they're obscene, they're, they're nasty, um, but this new group decided to do dirt on on myself because we'd we'd bandied around a brand that we weren't involved with political parties um and briefly i was a member of the labor party the real labor party the real labor party but this guy went and got the membership records and plastered it all over campus but who but why is this why is this an issue because we're selling a brand of political independence if you're a member of a political party then you're you're really contradicting what you're selling but do people really care about that Probably not. <laughs> because I can't imagine more than five people going, oh, look at this independent. He, he, he's saying he's independent and he's actually turning up to Labor Party. Yeah, you're dead right. But the reality is you get caught up in the, um, in the moment and you're enraged by it, you know. Okay, so you're thinking an eye for an eye. Yeah, in a way. Like, uh, so Roy said, all right, let's do a dirt sheet. And we did a very good one. What we found was that, this party had, they were so agitated with the student newspaper that we ran, they decided to run their own paper. They sent it around campus and it was highly discrediting of, um, of our group that were running the campus. So what we did is we released a second edition for them on their behalf. <laughs> Do you remember what it, what it was called? Yeah, it was called Voice. Oh, you've got it here. Oh, Voice. So you've actually got here 
this is the original one or this is your version? This is our version. All right, let's have a little look at this. So I, I warn you that this is 1996. No, that's fine. Okay, so we're looking at a, an A4 fake copy of the newsletter. So you've got it. You've got the same font of assumed. Yep. The same type of design. And you've you've made your own version of their paper, yep. pretending it's theirs. Yep, and distributed. Right, and so this is fourteenth uh, of October, nineteen ninety six, and uh, oh my goodness, you got a picture on the inside—a very unflattering photograph. So that that picture was edited. So there's work on the teeth, there's work on the eyeballs, and there's work on the monobrow. <laughs> right, <laughs> the, the editorial. So if you read the last paragraph, of- okay, the last paragraph. I'm like any other regular Joe on campus. I like to drink beer in moderation. I like going to the football. I support Paul Keating's old team of Collingwood. The life in the fast land of the political world can get pretty hectic, so I often head down to the rat or the mellow and shoot the breeze about beer, chicks and rugby league. I'm clear to make good decisions, which is felt wrong. (laughs) Thank you for your time and remember, catch you on the flip side. And then if you have a quick look at the CD and movie reviews. Okay, we've got uh, The Rib That Went Astray by Stinky Dog. What is that? Is that a CD? A totally fictitious one. Okay. I'm a bit tentative about any of them because they're, uh, I haven't read them for a while and I'm imagining that I'd be quite appalled at some of the, um, the wording that's been used back then. I understand that. But what you're trying to do is you're actually trying to paint things at other people in a poor light. Okay, let's just have a look at uh, The Rib That Went Astray by Stinky Dog. The contemporary album explores... <laughs> okay, we might skip this one. Village of the Damned. Uh, I'm seeing some of this. I can't read some of this. <laughs> this. No, you can't nowadays. It's, um, it's, it's actually a sign of the time. The weird irony of that is that a lot of that Stuff, although written in jest, is probably a completely normal sort of review these days. People know this isn't real, though. No, they they thought it was real. They thought this was real. This looked, as you said, the font was right. Everything was identical to the original edition. How many copies did you run off of this? A couple of thousand. Mm-hmm. So it was an interesting weekend because we spent the whole Saturday writing this. We then... Drove it to the other side of Melbourne to a parliamentarian's office. We had some volunteers and we pretty much ran a printing press through the night. Yeah, so a, a, a politician let you use their equipment... Late at night. ...to... To produce that. <laughs> and I'm assuming you're not going to tell me who that no, is. No, I'm not going to tell you it is. But we fired up the, the printers, ran them off. We were stapling them, boxing them. And the other fascinating thing a lot of dirt sheets have is they have what's called a dirt squad. You definitely don't want to be caught distributing dirt material. So you need to get someone or a group of people that are willing to do that. And we had a dirt squad. Right. So there was a group of guys that kind of lived in a dingy share house, um, not too far from here actually. And, you know, it was mostly just perpetual parties or odd things going on there. And we'd often just convene there so if we're meeting we'd go dirt squad's house there was an important meeting you'd convene at the dirt squad's house so we'd already phoned through to the dirt squad we've got a job for you there's a slab of beer in it oh yeah awesome (laughs) so i kind of crashed into the house at the early hours in the morning said right um here's your slab they all headed out to campus distributed the dirt sheets came back 
I slept on their couch for a few hours, went into uni and it was just bedlam. The cleaner, you know, who was well known in the union building, came up yeah. to me with a copy of it and, and you know, he's gone, oh. And he's put out another edition of his newspaper <laughs> but he said he didn't do it. Yeah. And so I've, I'm quite nervous at this stage because I'm thinking I'm maybe number one suspect here. Are there other parties as well? There's really just the two. There's maybe a couple of smaller fringe ones. So he does know it's you guys. So I've walked up to him. I thought I'll get on the front foot. I've said, oh, mate, I, I heard that you put out another edition, but you didn't do it. He's gone, I didn't do it. You know, someone's done it. And he started accusing someone else in our group. And I said, look, mate, I'm appalled that someone would do that. Let me Let me help you find the culprits. The idea of this newsletter, apart from making them look like an idiot, it's also to throw them off as well. It is. It, it demoralises your opposition. Mm. Um, and how close is this to the election? Oh, this, is, this isn't far out. This is days out from right. it. Right. All right. This is really close. So I've said, mate, this is, you know, this is poor form. I don't condone this sort of behaviour. Mm-hmm. Um, let's grab a coffee, sit down and chat it through. You know, um, I had a good heartfelt chat, put a hand on the shoulder and, uh, you know, he was appreciative of that and and we, we won the election in another landslide. <laughs> I do harbour a, a sense of guilt because the guy they talk about in that is a very decent guy. Right. I, um, I have a lot of respect for him because he was an aspiring politician and he was very earnest in his pursuit but he wasn't very good at it he wasn't devious he wasn't um calculating that's part of the game isn't it it is and it, and it, it was a game so um dirt sheets had been established as one of the new rules in the game on on campus the really interesting thing that then happened a person kind of infiltrated our group. Hmm. So we got recommended to talk to this uh, guy, Martin, who was actually a actually a priest. Um, came across as a great bloke, really clever, really supportive, giving us lots of new ideas as to how we could improve the way we were doing things. So uh, you know, on the surface, it was quite good because we're all pretty inexperienced. None of us had worked a real job in any great sense. And he was a former politician's assistant, completely addicted to politics. You know, we had had more of a guiding older older person and um, everything was going pretty well. But then this new influence within the group really wanted to take us down a political path. Well, that's what you're there for, isn't it? None of us really in the group had any political aspirations. We, we were there for, you know, we had a good collective. We enjoyed doing this stuff together and was a good outlet. And um, we were just there and then we were going to leave and go off into our chosen career path. You guys are in your 20s and, you, and you're still there to have fun. This guy's in his 50s. So he's on a completely different wavelength. Uh, he he was an operator. Um, he, was, he was very good at what he did. He'd worked in the political system. He saw an opportunity that, yep, this group's done well. Mm-hmm. I can now start a new power base and expand it out from here. But this, this Martin's there to, to help you guys. He's, he's very interesting. And so what happened here? So he started, 
using uh, what I what I worked out was a common strategy. If you're on your own mm. and you wanna you wanna take power, you divide and conquer. Right. Yeah. You splinter a group. You yep. work them one by one, and you you look as though you're you're the person solving the problems, but really you're the person creating the problems. And you look as though you're working over time to help mend relationships, but really you're uh, you're destroying them. And and it would be more along the lines of, yeah, Ben, he's, he's, he's a wonderful bloke. I had a great time, and it was so funny when he said this and that. And that might be the that might be just casting a little line there, you know. Said it was really funny when he said that. I didn't know what he really meant by it, but the other person might say, "Hey, what did they say?" Oh, I can't really remember exactly. Something like this. What they mean by that? Oh, now that you mention it, I don't. I don't really know. The clever part about doing that as well is you can't accuse him of doing anything because you're letting this person make the leap. He would then, on occasions, come back to me and just say, "Look, I'm just giving you a heads up. I don't know what their problem is. They seem a bit mm. volatile. I was just having a having a catch up with them, and they they suddenly just started accusing you of stuff, and and I tried to calm them down. So you're kind of playing both sides. Would that be true as well? Sometimes. This is this is working on another level. Yeah. How's he learnt this? He's a shrewd political operator. So he's he's learnt this from politics. Yeah. Right. It kind of came to a head when he put the hard word on us, uh, me and a couple of other guys to join the Liberal Party. We right. I was taken out, wined and dined with prominent Liberal politician at the time, and I said, "No, look, it's not for me." And if I was going to go into politics, I'd probably go down the Labor path. Um, that didn't go down well and then essentially things ramped up to the point that it was pretty identified that now this once harmonious collective was now two groups. He wanted to sign everyone up to the Liberal Party. Yeah, he wanted to make it essentially a, uh, a Liberal-dominated campus. At the time I couldn't care less about, but I wasn't seen as someone that was, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid, so to speak, so... I was discredited and pushed out the door. I remember at the time being a bit fascinated with politics and reading quite a lot of books. And I remember, I remember reading one on um, uh, Winston Churchill, who who actually was was mentoring young aspiring politicians and he said he said look the enemy isn't over there on on the opposite side which is the other political party it, it's the people within our own ranks and that that's essentially where we had we had graduated to politically because you get politics you'll get a group of people that are pretty good they all get along they all have the same ideals but then they splinter and they factionalize so within within the same party you've got enemies and sometimes those enemies are, are more hated than the external enemies that you're going up against in the election. We were all in the same group, but we had two sides and we probably ended up despising each other more than the people that we'd gone up against to win the election. The year kind of degenerated because we just had these board meetings to make decisions and it turned into recriminations and fights and things. And I was sort of thinking this is probably a good exit point um, but at the time a good friend wanted to wanted to run the next year eventually convinced me to 
help her win. So I said, all right, let's organise another ticket. And so that's where it heated up because you had two really capable groups now. We recruited again Mm -hmm. from the ground up, but I could see we were probably neck and neck. Um, It was interesting because they knew the kind of modus operandi of how we ran things. I knew they were just expecting me to do everything I did with them. And so doing dirt was... Are they doing it to you? Well, they did do it to me, but because I wasn't running, it really had no effect. But they thought you were running. They were just misguided because they they really weren't able to accurately assess the situation. They just thought, you're, you're running this ticket, even though you're not a candidate, so we'll discredit you and that will discredit the ticket, rather than saying we need to discredit the actual candidates. So they're putting all this effort and you're seeing it, but it doesn't bother you because it's the wrong place. That's it. Probably the one thing where they overstepped the mark and I, I harboured it was they rang my employer at the time at IBM to try and get me sacked. Um, right. Made up all sorts of wild accusations. That's um, going a little bit too far. What, 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 did they, what did they say? There were all sorts of accusations about um, there was a trip I went on to Sydney with some of the other, uh, other board members and mm-hmm. they decided that that wasn't appropriate and things like that, really what was, stuff. What was the trip about? We went on a paid trip to go and study um, student activities or student events run by Sydney Uni who were... Yeah, that sounds fair enough. <laughs> to an extent. It was what was commonly referred to as a rort at the time. Yeah, we got a paid trip in a nice hotel to go to the Equinix Festival <laughs> run by Sydney Uni. A music festival? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So it was... Did you come back with a report? I didn't, but the other guys <laughs> kind of did. So it was it was pretty good. So it was mostly around rorts. And, but fortunately, my employer at the time was a pretty reasonable person. And he said, look, I'm getting these calls from odd people. Look, I'm just pretty much ignoring them. You're doing an all right job. But I thought I'd let you know, you know, that this is going on. Um, the time I was really livid uh, with, with that because I yeah, thought that's, you're stepping outside the kind of yeah. the boundary of the game. And, mm-hmm. um, but... I did realise we were, it was probably neck and neck and we were mm-hmm. under-resourced. So if you remember back earlier in that second election I was talking about, there was the guy who had the mm-hmm. awful sort of dirt sheet replica of his newspaper published. The Voice. Yeah, and he mm-hmm. still had political aspirations and he had resources. So I approached him, I said, look, we did the deal and it worked really well. He got along really well with the group. He bought bought some really good resourcing. Mm-hmm. We were able to get T-shirts printed, really top quality colour posters printed. This gives you a credibility when you're out there, obviously. Yeah, you know, it's a branding. You know, the brand is is prevalent. Students identify with it. And it, um, yeah, worked well. So that, that covered that for us. And we went to the election. It was close-ish. 700 votes to 500 and we won um, one again, although technically not me because I wasn't holding a position. So three for three. Three for three, and um, that was it. Although I had a small amount of unfinished business. So I was still carrying a degree of animosity over them trying to get me kicked out of my job. 
and Martin was going for the postgraduate position. So just to explain there, the postgraduate position is slightly different to the normal election and it's a postal ballot. Mm-hmm. So it sort of gets counted later. So we get, we're an outside chance because we really don't know any postgraduates and it's a postal ballot. And during when we're signing up people, we found this quite bizarre guy that wasn't ideal, but he was a name on the ballot. And I think he, I did see him once or twice down at the trash market as a tarot card reader these days. But um, so, Okay, so you've deliberately put this person in to not make it easier for Martin to win. That's right. I'd kind of given up on the fact that we'd, we'd win, but it was more out of an annoyance. But it's, as fate would have it, one night I was leaving the offices, grabbing a few things, and just as I was turning off the light, I noticed the ballot box with the postal votes was sitting there. Not locked up in a room secure where it technically should be. An opportunity. All the votes are there. Yep. Um, ready to be counted the next day. You know, the opportunity flashed across my mind, but I left. I was pretty exhausted from everything. But played on my mind as I was driving home and I, I called I called Roy. I said, explain the situation. You know, and he bellowed back down, you've got to get it. And I said, no, I can't do that. And he said, well, at least bring it to me and I'll do it. <laughs> so after some long protracted negotiations i said all right so i drove back sneakily put it in the boot of the car drove all the way to melbourne roy had already called up some friends they were around there (laughs) ready to go i rang in the ballot box they then you know put on a couple of kettles and steamed open all these envelopes and the thing is they needed to change the result so you've got a ballot paper that has two names with a box where you to make it valid, you've got to put a one in the preferred candidate. Right. So they were doing a combination of kind of predominantly invalidating some of the votes by putting, you know, changing a one into all sorts of things, a tick. So if you put a tick, that's no good? No good. So they were turning it into all sorts of things, Japanese symbols, <laughs> you know, just weird slogans, pictures of houses. <laughs> They've gone a little bit overboard, but... They got the job done. Fortunately, they kept an audit trail. As you'd imagine, of I'm driving home with an hour and a half with this weighing on my conscience as to what's going on here. Mm. And as I'm approaching Ballarat, I call them and say, I can't leave all of this crazy stuff on the ballot papers. So, this What sort of stuff are you talking about? Something highly offensive, like a, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, a swear word followed by other expletives that were deliberately targeted at candidate so i need to pull out the really bad ones so they said all right do this so i'm scrambling through yep yep i've got them and there was about half a dozen right they've obviously had the open the ballots the next day there were a few that had people looking like what the hell um and so what happened did he win no he lost he lost yeah so uh the result went the way we wanted it to go Having him there the next year, just manipulating the scene, you know, dividing and conquer, turning friends against each other, we weren't weren't too keen on that. So it was good to know that we had that peace of mind. So was any of the elections actually fair? Probably not. Like I think <laughs> I probably not. Probably not. But that's the that's probably part of the game. That's, Depending that's on politics. You know, it is, and it depends on your viewpoint. It's quite reasonable to say, no, this is highly inappropriate and people should be behaving. And um, the the interesting thing was that last election, it was headed 
gotten so far beyond a joke that they actually paid for the electoral commission to come in and manage it. What? So the electoral commission came in, had official, you know, electoral commission boxes and they took the ballot because people were so paranoid that it was going to be rorted. It sort of, I guess, went on a really interesting journey from just being a group of friends that have started this to a political cesspool at the end of that three-year era. Did you ever imagine that when you signed up for uni, when you went to that lecturer, that this would happen three years later? No, no, not at all. I was thinking career path, jobs, sense of relief to get into uni, let alone this. Did you hate it? Did you hate all that period? Or did you love it? Oh, I loved it. At its peak was probably, you know, some of the most enjoyable times I've ever had. But you didn't go into politics? No, no. So, and and I, you know, there, there is a slight pang of regret. It, it's interesting because I've bumped into a couple of people over the years and they were really disappointed I hadn't gone into politics. And I think I was a different person back then mm-hmm. because they're kind of all more talking to me as I, I'm the person back then. And I'd realised I'd just turned into a fairly bland clone office worker. Do you think that's true? Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) So it was the right choice, I think, not to pursue it. The politicians I met throughout that experience, they had strained family relationships. My goal in life was to have a good family. I think a lot of the politicians I met were not very healthy. They were really um, pushing the boundaries with their health and I'd already had a pretty poor health experience in that last year you know I'd finished my degree somehow and um, thought I should get away you know it would have consumed you yeah I don't think I would have had time I would have and I, and I think the thing that scared me most is I'd burnt a lot of friendships that had meant a bit to me and um, I thought that would potentially also happen so a lot, of, a lot of negatives as much as there was, I think, a subconscious want to maybe follow that career path. I think you made the right decision. <laughs> I think so too, at the end of the day. Thanks for listening to 20 Square Blocks. If you enjoyed the episode, you know what to do. Share, like, rate, all that sort of stuff. Thanks to my anonymous special guest today, who lives somewhere within 20 square blocks. Music by Ryan Goodwin. Check out his other works at virtuallyryan.com. Additional material for the show, written by Anne Murison. Editing by the indomitable Ricky Cheno. Our logo is designed by Chris Frith. And thanks to H-Studios for the use of their studios and this microphone stand. I'm Ben Plaza. And this is 20 Square Blocks.